By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This week, we are doing part two of our discussion on how to play different lies. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and do that now because this episode won't make much sense to you. So we're going to pick up right where we left off after week one. Should we move on to bunkers? I'm the worst bunker player. So I don't, I'm like, I've been thinking about this. I'm like, do I even want to, I shouldn't say that. I'm a pretty good fairway bunker player, but I'm not, I'm not a good greenside bunker player. Someone asked me on Twitter, how do you hit a 40, 50 yard bunker shot? I wrote back, pray. I know, yeah. (laughs) I think that's the hardest, like, I think that is the hardest shot in golf. I've hit some okay ones in my life, but I've had a lot of doozies. So do we want to start with fairway bunkers? Yeah, this will be interesting because I bet you play this one differently to me. What do you do on a fairway bunker? So on a fairway bunker, I'm thinking more, like, I'm always thinking ball first, then turf with iron play. But now I'm really thinking about it out of the fairway bunker. Like, my focus is, like, really there. Uh, So I'm thinking like, I got to compress the hell out of this thing and get ball first and then interact with the bunker. Now, here's where I'm going to try and not be a jerk and just be truthful with people. I'm a plus handicap. You're a plus handicap. I think you and me can hit a lot of fairway bunker shots and get it on the green and not worry about bad things happening. If I'm speaking to a 10 or 20 handicap, I'm not going to give you the same exact advice. I'm going to I think if you're in a fairway bunker, and if you look at the stats, I remember ShotScope had something good on this. For most golfers, being in a fairway bunker is well over a stroke penalty. It's a massive penalty for, quote unquote, the normal golfer, because sometimes they don't get it out of the bunker. They'll hit the lip. They don't take enough club, or they hit it into a really bad situation from there. So I would say if you're in a fairway bunker and strategy off the tee is to avoid them as much as you can... Your mindset's similar to what we just talked about with horrible lies in the rough. This is a recovery situation for most players. I don't really want you thinking about getting it on the green. I want you thinking about what can I do to get it out of the bunker 
back on the fairway so that I have some type of intermediate or short wedge into the green and hopefully make my bogey and get the hell out of here. So I would say like my thoughts on hitting that shot are different than most because I have the ability to get cleaner contact with it. Because again, if you can't hit ball first and then bunker, you're probably going to chunk it and it might stay in the bunker or hit the lip and come back out at you. That's my opening statement on fairway bunkers. It's very pessimistic. Yeah, I find most amateurs are just too greedy would be the, yes. the phrase I'd yes. use from, from a fairway bunker. And they're often then doing things that, you know, if you're trying to hit a seven iron out of there as far as you can, that's one thing. But then once you start to take a three iron, four iron or hybrid out of there to try and Forget get there, <laughs> you know, you've got these lips in front of you in, in yep. the vast majority of cases. And then you've got these competing interests because you're trying to hit it as far as you can with that low lofted club. And at the same time, you're trying, your brain knows I got to get it this up and over the lip. <laughs> and so what happens, people fall on their back foot to try and help it up in the air. They end up hitting a foot behind it in the sand and leaving it in the bunker or just topping it into the lip and it comes back at them and they have to duck. So yeah, greed is, is one of the main things there. I'll, I'll often see a player and I'll ask them, what club are you taking from here? And they'll tell me and I'll be like, I, uh-uh. I could not get that. I could not launch that above that lip. So you're going to have a hard time here. Sometimes they get away with it. And I think, how on earth did they do that? And that's the worst thing is when a player gets away with one of those shots because then the next time they come into that scenario, they're going to try it again. And eventually the odds will go against you. There becomes a point where you're so greedy that the chance of you hitting the green or hitting it really far down there in a good shot are not outweighed by the chance of you leaving it in the bunker as the stats are showing. Essentially, this is a proximity gamble is the best way I could describe it. So if you listen to this show, you read Mark Brody's book, you know strokes gain. The closer you are to the hole, the better your chances of posting a lower score on that hole. So the more you gamble with using less loft and trying to hit it on the green, the more you bring into that, your next shot is going to be much farther from the hole. So let's say you had a 150-yard bunker shot. Your goal is to advance that as far as possible to the green while making sure that's the highest probability event. It might be 75 yards from the green or 60 yards from the green. But if you start shifting your focus to, I want this on the green, now you're bringing into play chunk, stays in the bunker, doesn't launch high enough. You thin it, hits the lip and comes and stays in the bunker. So now you've lost a full stroke and you're back in the same situation. So again, I want people to treat this as a recovery situation. And in recovery situations, our primary focus is to get the ball back to safety, which is the fairway where you can get a clean lie and hopefully get the ball in the green with the next shot. I'm almost like reluctant. Like you asked me, like, what's my focus on these shots? Like I'm almost reluctant to even describe it because I just don't know how helpful it is to a lot of golfers. You know, you dig your feet in, you're going to lose balance. Your lower body cannot flex and twist as much. It's going to stay quieter. I definitely take more loft. I want to make sure I choose a club that absolutely, at least I can never say guarantee, but that affords me a highest possible chance that I'm going to clear the lip in front of me. That's like my number one priority. So let's say it's not so bad of a lip, then I'm thinking, okay, I can get this on the green. If the lip's not a problem, like, yeah, then I will take, like if I have a 150 yard shot, And that's usually like a nine iron for me. I might hit an eight iron then. 
because I know I'm probably going to lose a little distance out of the bunker. I might choke up on an eight iron a little bit, but that's only knowing I'm going to clear the lip. Like that's my first thing is like, can I clear this lip? It's an incredibly defensive shot. I don't want anyone thinking like hitting it on the green most of the time. It's just like get the ball as far as down the fairway as you can while getting it out of the bunker. Yeah, we're not talking about wedging it out sideways. No, you, you know, don't have if, to do if, that. If, and even, yeah, <laughs> you know, here but, on my Scotland trip in Carnoustie, I got trapped in a couple of those. I mean, those are some of the worst bunkers in the world. Oh, those ones you might have to wedge out sideways, yeah. You know, I hear what I did because <laughs> the sand was so foreign to me. There were three times where I went to wedge it out sideways and I kept it in the bunker. Like, that's how bad I was in that scenario. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Well, often in those pot bunkers, you don't have the oh, ability to make a swing. You sometimes yeah, have to exactly. go out backwards just to... I couldn't get out. But most players aren't dealing with that. So you're just evaluating the lip in front of you and how steep it is. Sometimes it's not so bad. And then you can say like, okay, now I can maybe advance this further up yeah there's different dynamics through impact that would make the ball launch a little lower from a fairway bunker as well some people might not notice this but i see about half club to maybe a full club lower so my eight iron might launch like my seven so i do take that into account when trying to clear that lip that it's going to launch lower the reason for that is when the club is in contact with the ball the club is more likely to continue traveling down because the sand is soft there's no support there from the sand whereas when you're hitting on fairway the sole of the club will actually start to get bounced up a little bit from the turf and then that effect is even magnified like we talked about did we talk about this last week on on range mats you know where the sole of yeah, the club I think we did is actually that bounce up off the mat and so you get a higher launch off something like a range mat very high off something like a lie board if you've ever tried one of those and then much lower off something soft like sand and there's also it can increase friction as well when you get that sand trap between the face and the ball that can increase the friction and lower the launch a little further as well so yeah, I, I would say be very careful of that lip. As I said, that, that gamble is there. You don't have to wedge it out sideways, but just be aware that you trying to advance it 20 yards more is probably going to be greatly outweighed by the fact that you're increasing your chance of leaving in the bunker as well. In terms of the, the techniques, you talked a bit about lots of these things. I would say, you know, the main thing in a fairway bunker, and it could depend on the quality of sand, but you're going to get more slippage of the feet. The sand is not as supportive as the ground as you start to, if you try and do a full out swing and you start to really start pressure the ground and, you know, move like you would on a solid surface, it's very likely you're going to slip around a little bit. So you see maybe slightly wider stances, definitely more locked lower bodies. You know, I feel like my lower body is more stable, like I'm not turning, twisting, shifting as much. That might reduce my speed a little bit, but greatly improves my stability and my, increases my chance of striking the ball better. And that's number one priority here is that ball first strike. If you get that, then you can play this almost like a normal golf shot. And that's why I'd say I might play this differently to you. I would imagine that you would try and pick it off the surface. I could be wrong here, John. Do you try I'm not really thinking or? of picking it so much as more of I I actually probably think of it even steeper sometimes where like yeah. I'm really trying that's to like just dig into that ground in front of the ball. And that's evolved over the years as my club head deliveries change. But as I've gotten steeper with my angle of attack with my irons, like I've become a better fairway bunker player. But yeah, I'm thinking I want to just trap the hell out of this thing almost. 
And that's hard to do. That's a hard ask for a lot of players because, as you said, you can't be as aggressive with your lower body because you might slip. So your swing speed has to decrease. That's why I say if I don't have lip problems or I'm not worried about it, I will take usually more club because I know I'm going to be swinging probably like 85% of my swing speed. So if I actually am having ambitions of hitting the green, I feel like that's the way to go. I will take an extra club because I know I'm just not going to swing it as fast. That's worked for me. But yeah, quiet lower body, ball first, then sand. Another thing you mentioned, like the type of sand. I would also say if you're playing, you have to get more and more defensive the fluffier the sand is. Yeah, definitely. Even like if you put me in fluffy sand, then I'm starting to think like I'm not getting this on the green because I'm even if I hit like an inch behind it, this thing's going nowhere. So the more fluffy the sand is, the more defensive I get. And if it's more firm, compact sand, then yeah, I'm thinking I could get a clean strike on this and hit it a decent distance. But again, like let's be realistic with your ball striking abilities. If you took 100 golfers and you put them in a fairway bunker and said, now go hit that ball in the green from 150 yards, most of them aren't going to be able to do that. It's a really hard shot. I really do want to stress that. It's a good training aid. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The good news is this is one of the best training things that you can do. I was very fortunate in Spain that I had a fairway bunker that I could go and take people into. And it was great just for feedback. You'd, I'd rake it with the back of the rake to make sure it's nice and flat. Then I'd draw a line in with a T and we could do lots of low point drills, you know, trying to contact the ground in the right place. Yeah, when if you practice out of that, I used to go off and instead of hitting balls off the range mat, I used to try and blast them out of the fairway bunker full speed. You know, the disadvantage is you might start to self-organize that a little bit more of a too stable approach with the lower body. You're not, you're not using the ground as effectively as you could, so it could re- reduce your speed. But it's a great drill for really zoning in and focusing on strike, that ball first, then turf strike. Because if you hit an inch behind it, you're going to get different results from different turfs. You know, if you are an inch behind it on a range mat, then you're going to get an okay result. Whereas if you hit an inch behind it on the fairway bunker, it's going to drop 30, 40, sometimes 50%, depending on how fluffy it is. So yeah, it's really good for building your awareness. And and if you have the opportunity to go and practice in a fairway bunker, I would strongly recommend it. Yeah, it's the ultimate test. Other things I've noticed, I don't don't know if this would be for some players, but this is more of like a pay attention to your tendencies thing. Because the lower body does get so quiet, similar to some of those side hill lies we discussed, I've noticed a tendency for me to shut my club face down and pull a lot of these shots. Yeah, I can see that. So I will take that into account if I am going for the green. That is definitely my tendency out of the bunker. But again... It's a fairway bunker is a massive penalty. It's a big, big, big penalty. The stats show it like that's what they're there for. Your goal off the tee is to avoid them as much as possible. And when you get in it, get the hell out of it. (laughs) That's it. Like, just get out of it. And I'd say on the topic of, you know, some people teach or some people play trying to pick it, you know, really just clip the ball off, off the surface. I've tested this i mean i've tried i've taught both methods to all golfers and i found yes there's a sub- subset of people who are better off trying to pick it but for the most part when you're trying to pick it 
your low point tends to go back a little bit, and what happens is the picking part it runs the risk of more thin bladed shots into the lip, and、yep. the fact that you're <laughs> having your low point move back also runs the risk of of clipping any grass between the ball and the、oh, sorry not grass sand between the ball and the the face, so you increase the risk of fat and thin shots with that. And I just don't find it to be effective. I rather take the other approach and almost get a little steeper on it. I place more weight on my front foot and I try and keep it there, so that avoids me needing to shift my weight into my left side throughout the swing. So if I take a wider stance, a little bit more weight, and I try and keep it there, almost stack and tiltish, that tends to improve the ground contact, tends to reduce a lot of the slippage from the sand. I just commit to hitting that ball first. I know if I hit that ball first, the ball is going to come out very similar to a normal golf shot. Yes, you run the risk of okay if you hit an inch behind. Now it's going to come out nowhere. But I find that having taught that to lots and lots of golfers, they perform better overall when they take a, a slightly steeper approach in the fairway bunkers. Yeah, and also if you're conservative enough with your target. Catching it a little heavy if you've chosen the appropriate target relative to the lip, it's still going to come out like let's say you only hit it fifty yards, like you'll still clear the lip. So I'm thinking、uh, this is hard for me to describe to people, but let's say you did have a fairway bunker where like the lip, if you're looking at the green and let's say the pin for example, and that's the highest part of the lip, and let's face it, a lot of fairway bunkers are designed that way to get you to cheat a little bit and be more aggressive because you're like, oh, I want to hit the green. Whereas if you aimed a little bit left or right of that, now you're facing an area where the lip is almost non-existent or lower. That's where you have to play this trade-off because sometimes you're going to chunk it and sometimes you're going to hit it. A lot of guys and gals are going to just thin it and skull it really low. So pick the exit line that gives you the least chance of hitting that lip and coming back in the bunker. So if you chunk it a little bit, fine. You're in the fairway. You thin it a little bit, it probably gets out of the bunker too. I'm thinking back to Matt Fitzpatrick when he won the U.S. Open last year. He had a nine. That was one of the best. Some people are saying like, "Oh, the lip wasn't that close to him." I mean, it was still a hard shot, but he had one of the best fairway bunker shots because they, they are they're tough shots. So you got to hit it so pure, such good contact. That was one of the best, I think, major championship shots I've seen in recent memory. Yeah, they're tough shots, and for like that fifty-yard in-between shot <laughs> that someone was asking me about, I remember I hit one really good one. I was playing in the Long Island Open a few years ago, and I freaking zipped this thing. I think I was seventy yards out, and I hit a sand wedge, and I was like, "Don't skull it!" And I just clipped it perfectly, went past the hole, and sucked it back. I think that was the only time in my life I've ever done that. <laughs> I was really proud. I missed the birdie putt, unfortunately. It was a six-footer I missed, but. Yeah, that that in between wedge shot. I think that is. I'd say for most people, like take a little bit more loft. Like you can take your gap wedge or pitching wedge and open the face up a little bit, and just don't make an aggressive swing. Just get it the hell out of there. But that I find is at the hardest shot in golf, or one of them at least. It is, but let's face it. I mean, in my life, I've probably had less than ten of those. Yeah, you don't exactly. <laughs> you don't have happen that often. Exactly, it's not the type of shot you need to. Like this is another point about practice. Like, should people be practicing a ton of fairway bunker shots or intermediate? Like, you practice the situations you face on the course, and yeah, if your strategy is good, you're not going to have too many of those shots in general. So, again, defensive, get out of the bunker, take your lumps, and move on to the next one. For the most part, you just can't practice it enough to make it where it's like, oh, I'm a really good fairway bunker player. Like, that's for the pros to do. 
that's the difference between them making a paycheck or going home some weeks. Yeah. I mean, they're on the 40 to 60 yard bunker shot. How I play it would be I try and hit a little closer to the ball than normal. You know, on a, on a greenside bunker, I might be hitting two, three inches behind this one. <laughs> that's I hit when I skull it. An inch behind. <laughs> no, I, th- I think an inch that's behind gives so me a good... Sad, yeah a good amount of leeway either side for for myself at least and then i give it a lot more energy maybe 50% more energy so if it's a if it's a 40 yard shot i kind of play it like a a 60 maybe 70 yard shot yeah i just try and send the sand a little bit more forward maybe not slam down into the sand as much you know just send a send a thinner layer of it more forwards so those are the ways that i play i'm okay out of those but as i said it's it's happened like 10 times in my life it's not really yeah, worth it's not practicing a, or worrying about too much yeah it's not a shot where you're like how do i get this on the green 15 feet from the hole like if you did that that's like again i'd be like elated with that result from a intermediate wedge shot bunker yeah so yeah sand it's tough and, and again choose the exit strategy that gets you back to safety very quickly and you don't need to have you know fancy techniques or anything like that that, that that'd be more of my thinking on those don't be a hero should do a little bit on greenside bunkers as we're on the topic of sand don't be me <laughs> you're not good at them. i know what to do so I theoretically know how to hit good bunker shots. And if you put me in a practice facility, I can hit good bunker shots. But I'll just be honest with the listeners. It's a shot where I step up to in tournaments and I'm like, well, anything could happen here. I'll hit some good ones, some decent ones. And I've had some, I'm thinking back to, I was in a playoff. I think it was two years ago for the Long Island Amateur. We had 10 guys for seven spots at the end of the day. And I made it to the last three. And I had a bunker shot and I just sculled the hell out of it. And I missed it by one, unfortunately. I've had some bad bunker shots under pressure. I'll, I'll admit to the listeners, it's it's one of the weaker parts of my game. Again, I know what to do, but sometimes my body just doesn't do it. I find it hard. No, I, I lived in the sand as a kid. We had a little practice bunker in my facility. It wasn't a very big facility, but I spent a lot of time in that bunker. But I think the hardest thing for amateurs is just the inconsistency of the sand. You know, from from course to course, it can vary a lot. From day to day, it can vary a lot. If you've had a little bit of rain, if it's more compacted, obviously the lies in the bunker, they're not pristine. People don't rake it. So you're facing a lot more difficulty as, a, as an amateur than you are as a pro. They have very they nice bunkers. Yeah. yeah, they got nice bunkers. Every hole is consistent. Some people argue, you know, it is a hazard, so it shouldn't be nice. Yeah, a lot of true, people argue true. that PGA Tour setups or whatever Pro Tour should have harder bunker setups. They try and make them perfect. It's a hazard. That's why you can't ground your club. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just true. I mean, for for pros, the greens, sorry, the bunkers are so consistent that they'd rather be in a bunker yes. than be coming oh, yeah. at a long rough the other side of the bunker. You know, there's much less controllability. You can, you can ha- increase the consistency of spin from the bunker. The ball speed's more consistent as well. So the pros get an easy life, don't they? <laughs> I think John Daly had a, had a great tip. I have one of his tips is like, just try and hit it a little bit fat. <laughs> He's like, open the well, face up and just trying a little bit fat. Like that works for me half the time. I just try and play a defensive chunk and run. Like that's my yeah. go-to. I just open the face up, expose the balance of my sandwich, which has a ton of bounce in it. I'm trying to experiment with a weaker grip now to expose even more bounce because I think that helps me. I have a very strong grip. 
And yeah, I just try and hit. Sometimes people said like, oh, hit a credit card behind the ball. I think the fluffier the sand, like the harder that is to do. But just open the face and try and chunk the ball a little bit. That's my thought. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's two methods. The traditional method has always been to really flash the face wide open. Yeah. Get the hands lower as well. So opening the face makes it go more right. But if you drop the hands down, it brings the club face back into neutral. The ball tends to come out more with the path from a bunker as well. So whichever direction you're swinging, the ball's going to come out off more that, that direction than with the face in general. Or at least it changes the percentages of those. I don't want to give too too precise an answer there. But I would say the main thing I see with a lot of people when they use that method is they don't use enough speed. So you have to use a lot of speed with that because opening the face is going to cut down the distance. Now, there is a big advantage with this method is because you are using more speed, you can get away with less consistent ground contacts. So when you open the face and use a ton of speed, you can hit two inches behind, you can hit four, even five inches behind sometimes, and you'll still get a a reasonably consistent outcome. Whereas the other method that's more popular now is probably a simpler method for striking the ball is to actually have a square club face at address and just use more of an active hand release. So almost as if you're an underhand throwing the club head. And what that does is that underhand release adds loft and bounce to the club. You may have to have the ball a little farther back in the stance for that one, or less forwards, I would say, because the underhand release will make you contact the ground a little earlier. That can be a much easier way of swinging the club for most high handicappers, I say, mid handicappers. I mean, some professionals use this as well, so I don't want to denigrate that approach to to the point of not using it. But I find the disadvantage with that approach is there tends to be less speed needed with that approach. And so when you have less speed, those five inches behind contacts, if you're ever to make them, they're not going to come out of the bunker yeah so i personally have experimented with both options and i opt for the face wide open approach with a ton of speed i just find i've got more control over it that way yeah as as much as i've struggled out of the bunker like again what's my thought on a bunker shot i'm just trying to get the ball in the green i'm not trying to get fancy and i can do that most of the time and i found for me that face open weight on my lead side big time you know, handle a little bit lower and just thump it out of there a few inches behind and let the, again, you're not hitting the ball. You're moving a ton of sand with your golf club to project the ball out of the bunker. And the only way to do that effectively or more effectively, it has to glide through so it doesn't dig so that, yeah, that, that bounce needs to be exposed because if you were more square with it, and you hit three inches behind it, that club just hits a ton of resistance in the sand and it's all the momentum stops and you cannot propel the ball out of there. That's a very frustrating feeling. So yeah, I think players need to experiment with the feeling where you can say, I'm going to do something that gets this ball out of the bunker. Even if it leaves me a 40 foot putt, I don't care. Just get it out of there. Because again, a lot of people, what they do, they'll... So my tendency, which is the scary tendency is I think I have poor low point control in the bunkers. So I will use a ton of speed, but sometimes I will thin the hell out of it. And that's where things can get scary for me because I've hit balls like out of bounds out of a bunker, like just straight Thinning it green. by like drop yeah. kicking it or probably not just take, just not taking any sand, right? 
just know, yeah, like out of nowhere, I'll hit that shot where I just thin the hell out of it and it's just gone. I have to live with that. That's <laughs> why I prefer the open face method where I can swing really aggressive because I no, just- No, I'm telling I, you I, I do that with the open face method sometimes. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I don't know what causes it, but it ha- maybe it's a yip. I don't know what it is. We had an episode yeah. of the yips. Maybe it's a slight yip, but it's happened sometimes. It's not pleasant, but I live with it. Maybe, yeah. I'm just committing to really- exploding i like that word you know the explosion yeah, you, shot you just really thump the hell out of it and yeah. yeah you just have to commit I, I think people are scared hitting behind it and that's the thing that helps me is like i'm just going to commit to hitting a few inches behind it and just thump the hell out of the thing get it out yeah. of there if you use enough speed you can hit a long way behind it and still get it out so that's oh, yeah. why i tell people just i actually tell beginners to get the sand to go as far as the flag so I, we take the golf ball away and I just draw a line in the sand and I say, well, hit this line and get that sand to fly forwards. Gary Play talked about that. He said, imagine that the sand is water and you're trying to splash it forwards. I'd say for most fluffy bunkers, that is probably the best approach because that's going to shallow the angle of attack a little bit. And then, you know, place, once you can hit that line consistently, place the ball two inches in front of it or so and that, that'll give you a good margin for error either side that'll hit a consistent shot the important thing is just like i'll spend when the season starts i'll just spend a few sessions in the bunker i know how to hit the shot it's just more of like me kind of remembering that and finding that like basic technique that kind of gets the ball out of the bunker so i always do that the first few weeks of the season it's just kind of like reintroduce myself to the bunkers and spend some time in there i don't devote a ton of practice time to it but i just want to make sure that my goal for everyone myself included is that I just have some type of thought or technique that gets the ball out on the putting surface. Like I'm not someone who's going to spend 20 hours a season in the bunker hitting these like fantastic shots to like eight feet. Again, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time in the bunkers, fortunately, because I'm a pretty good iron player. So I'm trying to prioritize like the parts of my game where I am spending a lot of time. So it's, it's more of like a defensive strategy for me. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. The main thing for me with bunkers is is knowing 
the type of sand. So I'll often, if you, if you have a practice bunker, I'll get in there five minutes before, just make five or 10 swings or so, just to see how the sand is reacting. Cause sometimes you get that really heavy, soft sand. Sometimes it's light and soft. Sometimes it's compacted. So just knowing how the ball is going to come out of that is important. If you find, you know, lots of people find that that club will dig in the sand and their club gets stuck in it then, you know, having a shallower angle of attack, so placing the ball a little more forwards, trying not to dig as much into the sand can help, and then keeping more bounce on the club as well, so using a club with higher bounce naturally or using that open face method. When you open the face, that adds bounce to it as well. And then when you open the face, you can swing faster, so it's more likely to get through that heavy sand as well. Main keys I see with most people, they don't swing it hard enough in the bunker. Yep, it's a very tentative swing. Yeah. And when a pro is swinging, because pros are so efficient and they make everything look so easy, when a pro's hit, hitting that 10-yard bunker shot and they're splashing the sand, they're probably swinging that sand wedge faster than most people could if they were trying to really whack it hard. So you're not going to swing it too hard in the bunker, really. The only caveat to that is maintain control. You know, that, that ground contact control is important. But then the irony of that is the faster you swing it, the less control you need because you can get away with a wider ground strike area. So lots of speed, people. Lots of speed and lots of loft. The plug, not, actually, yeah, we could do the plug lie. I was going to say. Oh, the fried egg, the plug lie. Yeah, or even, you know, in, in Britain a lot, you'll get where it's rained and the, the, the sand is really compacted. So the main change I would make in that type of sand, greenside bunker, I actually keep the face open. I don't square the face up. I know lots of people are like, oh, but won't it bounce? And no, it won't if you hit closer to the golf ball. So I adjust my aim point from instead of two to three inches behind the golf ball, I go maybe an inch behind the golf ball. My brain becomes more focused on making that strike closer to the golf ball. And I use a steeper angle of attack. So I place the ball a little farther back in the stance than a normal bunker shot. I place a little bit more weight on the front foot and I really commit to, I imagine the club is an aeroplane and it's just crash landing an inch behind. And as long as I use an open face, that ball will pop up in the air. And so I'm, I'm pretty decent, at, you know, being a British player, we often had to play on that compacted wet sand. I got pretty good at it. So that's the approach I use and that's what I recommend to most people. Yeah, I think with wetter sand, you definitely need to be closer to the ball for sure. A total buried shot, you got to get a ton of speed and just smack the hell out of all that sand. And it's just going to tumble out of there. No spin. You probably can't even keep it on the green. It's a, it's a hard shot, but you need a ton of speed to propel it out of there because the ball is just so buried in the sand. You need to like free it from there. Yeah, you've really got to whack it. Treat it like your second ball or third ball, you know, because most yeah. people, they try and hit it too soft out of there. They leave it in, they do it again, and then all of a sudden they get really upset with themselves and really whack the next one and it comes out beautifully. So that won't be your first shot. But yeah, with a plug ball with compacted sand, both of those I'm hitting closer to it steeper angle of attack i'm thinking if if this sand was water i'm thinking of splashing down so it splashes back up at my face as long as you have that open face the ball's going to pop up it will go up from the loft someone showed me a really cool trick in scotland where they like pop the ball straight up with a totally square club face and like tons of speed it was crazy like to get it. I, I don't suggest anyone do it but someone showed it to me and i was like whoa that's pretty wild 
One other question I got was a downhill bunker lie. So let's say you're on like the back of the bunker and downhill. I mean, I don't mind this shot as much. It's just you, you have to realize it's going to come out low and run on you. But yeah, I usually play it on the back of my stance and I have to hit, you know, a little bit more square of a club face with tons of speed and make sure I just do strike it a little bit closer to the ball. But you know, tons of speed, let it dig a little bit. And then it just kind of releases low and fast on me, but it's a very defensive shot. And a lot of people will strike it heavy in that instance, I find. Yeah. Again, the worst thing you can do is trying to help it up in the air. So you've got to keep on your left side, flare the foot out a little bit, widen the stance, get more into your left side, place the ball back in the stance. That's going to help move the low point forwards. The hardest part here is you can't make a practice swing to check where you're contacting the ground. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could, but you have, have a few penalty shots. But the main thing here is you've just got to apply a lot at loft. It's very likely you're going to leave this one in the bunker if you don't have the ability to open that face. So practicing flop shots is really key for this. Again, how often are you going to get this shot in a round of golf? You may just have to see it as it's a, I've hit it in the water, you know, just try your yeah. best to get it on the green. But yeah, the ball's going to come out a lot, a lot lower, have a lot more run to it. So if you're on the back edge of the bunker and you've got a pin cut short, tight to that forget lip, it. Yeah, forget <laughs> it. Exactly. Yeah. No, not even the pros can do that one. And for most of the time, you, you're actually trying to clear the back lip with the club. You know, you got to get yeah, that ball the over the front you get lip. Steep. But yeah, yeah. In most cases, when you're on that downhill slope, your swing is impeded in some regards. So making lots of practice swings next to the golf ball where you don't hit the sand, but you're just seeing how do I have to orient my body to clear this lip with a club head. And for the most part, that's going to be weight very forwards and staying there. So do not. Uh, lots of this goes into visualization as well, because you can imagine the player, they're doing their practice swings, focusing on their movement, focusing on what the club head is doing. And they get that locked in. But then what do they do? They get to the golf ball and their brain switches to, right, what do I want this golf ball to do? And then they're visualizing, oh, I got to get that ball up quickly. And what's yeah, that going to do to the movement? Then they're going to go on their back foot and then they're going to end up hitting the lip. So I see that sometimes where a player will hit the, hit the lip with their club and it'll bounce and they won't even make contact with the ball. So that, I mean, that's a huge important part for how our locus of attention or where we place our attention affects our movement. And so when I'm in this situation, I'm very, very focused on what I want the club to do to the golf ball. I'm much less focused on what I want the ball to do because I know that's just going to influence my technique negatively. Well, I think that's the overall theme of a lot of this episode is that you take what the lie is giving you and you don't try it. We all want to hit, like you have a downhill lie off the fairway. Of course, we'd love to hit a high shot that stops on the green nicely. There's all these situations where you have to give up what you want and take what the course is giving you. And I think that's, you know, hopefully what we gave you on this episode is how you make some of these adjustments. But for the most part, strategically, when the course gives you a crappy situation and a difficult lie, you acknowledge that and then you you change the type of shot you're trying to hit and ultimately you're getting more defensive. And that sucks because what do we all want to do on these shots? We all want to hit it on the green close to the hole and like, you know, get out of this bad situation, but that's the give and take and the gambling of golf. Like, you know, the more you try and bite off, the more bad outcomes that could happen. And then you're the, the, the last thing you want to do in any of these situations is be stuck in the same place. You want to be in a better place 
<laughs> so whether it's that downhill lie in the bunker or the crappy lie in the rough, like you take what the course is giving you as hard as that is to do. So we're getting a little esoteric with some of the lies. Yeah. Let's go back. Okay, here's a common one that we see a lot is the short, maybe 10, 15 yard chip shot, but you're coming out a thick rough. This is hard because you've... Are we going to do wedges in this? I wasn't sure. I guess we got to bunkers. We can do some some of the greenside shots, yeah. I mean, okay. this, this is a common one, so we've, we've got to have this one in the approach. So, yeah, with this one, you have to use enough speed that you're getting through that grass. You know, the worst the worst thing you can do in when that ball is nestled down in the rough and you've got a short shot is trying to hit a bump and run with, say, a 7-iron. Because the club is just going to be moving so slow. I mean, this is obviously the extreme end of the scale argument, but the club's going to be moving so slow that the moment it hits that rough, it's just going to be wrapped around the club head and it's not going to come out. Not to mention the exit of the ball is not going to be high enough. So you, those are the type of shots that a beginner might try and play. You know, the first time they learn the bumper run shot, they're like, oh, this is cool. Maybe I can use this from everywhere. No, you can't. When that ball is nestled in the rough, it's deep in, you've got to use more speed. Problem with that is the ball is going to come out farther. So how do we cut off distance? We open the face. We increase the loft. So this, again, is another one of those where opening the face, learning this skill is going to be so valuable to you. So flash that face open, twist the shaft open, drop the hands a little lower to bring the club face back into alignment. Maybe line your body up a little bit more left to account for that face being open. doesn't have to be hugely left. It's like a bunker shot. That's how I view some of these shots. It's it's almost like a bunker shot. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty much. The difference I would say between this one and the bunker shot is in the follow through. And you see this when, when we have a bunker shot, players tend to have a longer follow through. They're trying to splash that sand forwards more because we're trying to be a lot steeper with this approach you're going to have more of a curtailed follow-through. So you tend to see these actually quite long backswings for the length of shot with pros. And then they almost slam. It's like a chopping action. They slam yeah, on yep. the brakes. And that allows the club head to overtake the hands so it brings loft back into play. It'll, it really... That kind of a acceleration profile where you swing up, it's almost like a karate chop. I think a credit Nick Bradley for this, uh, there's an image in my head. I don't know what, I think he did it more with bunker shots, but he's got an image of a player doing a karate chop into the sand. And that's the feeling that you like want to do with this. a quick acceleration. Yeah, quick from the top and then yeah. slamming on the brakes just pre-impact. And that allows the club head to overtake the hands, allows the loft to increase. Yeah, I think the worst, th and again, I'm, this might, I guess it could works on Bermuda too, not that I have a ton of Bermuda experience, but the worst the lie is in the rough, I think golfers get uncomfortable adding more speed because it feels like you're going to lose control and just like smash it 100 yards. And that that's where those shots where you like, it goes two feet in front of you. And pros hit that too sometimes. So like they're close to the green. They got a crappy lie. Watch the, uh, we're recording this the week before the US Open. It's going to happen in there a lot. You know, you're close to the green, you have a bad lie, you need to apply enough speed to pop the ball out of this rough without hitting it too hard that it goes over the green. And that's a tough ask for some golfers because they just feel very uncomfortable applying more speed. But yeah, the worse the lie, the more loft and speed you need is a good rule of thumb. And you need to practice them too. This is the kind of stuff I mess around in my backyard a lot with. Exactly. Yeah. I, I find that, you know, if you have a decent lie, from those and you need that high shot, then players tend to have more of a longer follow through. 
So it's almost like the longer follow through tends to shallow the angle of attack out a lot more, whereas that more choppy karate chop approach gets the steeper angle of attack with more loft. So that's what you need out of the rough. I would say that choppy action is for like that really buried like crap, like total horrible lie. Whereas if it's like nestled like halfway down, then you can kind of do like more of that flowing longer swing so that I think it encourages a little bit more swing speed, but you're not going crazy on it either. But yeah, you do need... Again, the rough, what's the rough going to do? It's going to trap the club. It's going to slow it down. So you need to counteract that with more speed. Like I actually find that the most challenging on Bermuda. Like you need to apply a lot of speed in Bermuda rough, I find. And sometimes it's not as much, you know, I play on bent grass in the Northeast. So it's kind of like a different feel sometimes. But yeah, it's it's uncomfortable to swing fast around the putting green, I think is the hardest feeling, whether that's the bunker or in the rough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the consistent theme with both of those shots, the bad lie, the good lie, opening the face, using lots of speed. I would just, yeah, as I said, just slam on the brakes at impact. Try those two different shots, you know, the one where you're slamming on the brakes through impact for the short trouble lie where the rough is longer. And then when you have a good lie, you know, allowing that follow through to be a little bit longer, a little bit smoother, a little bit more flowing. Yeah, but I would say, I don't know if you agree with me, this, the way I think about it is like the higher the ball gets in the rough, the more like shallow and less loft I use. If the ball's propped up nicely on the rough, then I'm not going to try and get steep and slide underneath it. I'm almost taking more of like a putting stroke type thing where it's like a, a shallow descent. And, you know, maybe I'll use like my sand wedge because I de-loft so much, but it's more of like this shallow, like rocking motion, whereas the worse the lie, the more of like that bunker-esque type swing comes out. That's how I kind of think of it is like the better the lie, the more cleaner contact I'm going to get and the less I'm going to have to worry about the, the club head being trapped by the rough. So I can get a little bit more shallow and I, a little less loft because I want to hit like a nice running shot. I don't like lofting it up. I think if you try and apply a lot of loft as the ball gets higher in the rough, that's where problems happen. So I think more of like that bump and run is the type word, but more of that, I'm going to get it on the putting surface and running longer on those type of shots. Yeah. You don't want to slide under it. I mean, most players want to do is slide under it. Yeah. Most players use a lot of loft around the greens when they don't need it. You know, if you need it, great. But if you don't, don't use it. Keep keep the ball a little lower. And that's the benefit of like, you've got to spend some time of your golf season experimenting and see what works for you. See how the ball reacts with different clubs and then choose, choose the technique in the club. Again, there are big goal around the greens with these shots is, and I put this in my book, a good shot from a green side, whether you're in the rough or wedge, you look at proximity numbers for like all golfers, 10 to 20 feet's pretty good. A pro only averages seven or eight feet from like very close to the green. That's their benchmark. It's a 50% chance of holding the putt. Exactly. So they're not getting up and down every time. So I want to really stress this is that your goal with greenside wedges is getting the ball on the putting surface with a reasonable putt so that you don't three putt and you two putt for your bogey at worst. And then you have your chance to make your one putt par. A lot of that is just getting the ball in a 10, 15, 20 foot circle around the hole. Like you don't need to be a hero. You don't need 20 different wedge shots. You need the technique. 
and the club that just gets the ball on the putting surface with a, with a reasonable putt. You don't have to go crazy with this, but you got to spend some time experimenting with different lies around the green and seeing how it reacts with your club head delivery and, and figure out the answers for you. Yeah, most of these things can be tested. Like say you take the fairway bunker, do you pick it or do you smash it like a normal shot? Well, you can actually go out and test those if you have the practice facilities to do that. Test 20 balls with each different method and you'll see which one produces the best outcomes. You, I mean, you could even use strokes gain data to truly quantify it if you wanted to. All right. Did we get everything? I didn't think we were going to do wedges. Tight lies. By Tight, oh, tight yeah. Lies. <laughs> oh, man. Tight <laughs> lies. Okay. We haven't talked much as much about bounce. I mean, those are the things that we're trying to influence in all of these all of these lies, really. You know, the angle of attack, are we going steeper? The loft and then the bounce. Luckily, loft and bounce are usually tied in very close together, although you can change the club to change bounce as well. So when you're on a tight lie... You don't want to be using too much bounce because for, for people who don't know what bounce is or visualization of it, it's how, how much is the leading edge sitting above where the club is resting on the ground. So there's lots of factors that go into the bounce, the thickness of the sole, the angle of the bounce, the grind as well. So, But you can visually see it when you place a club on the ground and rest it. You'll see the leading edge will be sitting above the surface a certain amount. And on a tight lie, if that's too much, because the ball is closer to the ground on that, you, you're going to run the risk of blading it a lot more. So when we have tight lies, you need to reduce bounce. And there are two ways of reducing bounce. You can square or close the face up. You can also lean the shaft more forwards. Or a third way is use a club with less bounce as well. So usually a lob wedge, a higher lofted club has less bounce on it in most cases. And the sand wedge has more bounce on it. Yeah, for me, as the lie gets tighter on the fairway, the more I will, again, adjusting for your tendencies. I've just found my problem is ground contact. So I will move the ball a little bit like what you described, a little more shaft lean, a little bit back in my stance and I can kind of trap it a little bit more. That might not work for some players. They might find that they are chunking it more. My problem is the skull. So that that's what I'm trying to prevent against. So some players might have to play that shot right in the middle of their stance, like very neutral kind of hands arriving to the ball at the same time, no shaft lean. Like that that's something I think again, you need to find the answer for you. What is the most comfortable club and technique that gives you a decent strike, gets the ball running on the green, and again gives you that 10 footer, 20 footer, hopefully. So you need to spend some time on those lies figuring that out. And then choose I don't you don't need to I hate when people like go up to a shot around the green. They're like, which four shots am I going to do here? I'd rather you just have one to choose from, get pretty good at that, and then maybe think about the others. But I think most people can't do that. So yeah, with the tight lies, I also don't think this is a problem for a lot of golfers. Like, Do most golf clubs have turf that's incredibly tight? It costs a lot of money to maintain a course like that. And most public municipal courses, even private courses, don't do that. You need to be playing at a pretty like high-end club to have really tight, crazy, firm fairways that are cut very close. So I think a lot of golfers have slightly hairy fairways to deal with. And you can slide the club underneath that a bit. You can use the bounce in those situations. Yeah, bounce is good. Bounce is your friend yeah, on normal on normal shots. Oh, it allows yeah. you to get away yep. with hitting too far behind the ball. Yep. 
but those dry links courses, I'm trying, you know, probably Australia. I haven't played golf in Australia. I, I very much hope to, but like, yeah, those are the situations where you have probably like more of the dried out turf that's tighter and you need to like nip it really nicely. And for me, that helps with just putting the ball a little bit back in the stance and hands forward. That might be horrible for someone else though. You don't know. Most of the time I find this tight lie somewhere around the green, maybe in an old divot or something. Someone's obviously hit a huge chunk shot and now you find yourself in their old divot or it's on the edge of the bunker. It didn't actually go in the bunker and there can be some quite tight turf around there. So the hardest part with this or the hardest shot to hit is the high shot from a tight lie because the high shot usually requires a lot of loft, but the tight lie requires less bounce and so they're competing when you increase the loft you tend to increase the bounce yep. so that's <laughs> that's where an advantage would be to have a lob wedge in your bag again if you're not great with that club then you just have to weigh it up and say well how often am i blading this lob wedge 50 yards over the green maybe it's just just not worth using but for better players i think most people listening to this podcast are you can use a lob wedge and the, again, the, the focus of attention is really important here. When I'm on a tight lie, I'm trying to get that club to hit down as close to the ball as possible. You know, you don't want to hit too far behind it because then if, if you're reducing the bounce and you hit too far behind it, you're just going to completely chunk it. It's going to dig. It's not going to have any positive effect there from the bounce. So really reducing the bounce, but then becoming really hyper-focused on that ball-first contact, or at least bouncing the club as close to the ball as possible. You also have to ask, you know, what what is the ball tight to? If it's on the edge of a sandy bunker versus on the edge of a divot, you're going to get different effects. The sandy bunker, you're just going to go straight down in and through the bunker. So again, ball contact is is key there. Whereas on a, if you're in an old divot, you might actually get some of the club to bounce up a little bit through it. So it might the ground might support the club a little bit better. So you can get away with hitting an inch behind on that one, but you won't on the edge of the bunker. So again, the focus of attention might be slightly different there. But I will often, if I'm in that divot, I'm quite comfortable even opening the face. I know that goes counter to what I've just said. It increases the bounce. But I'll use a club with less bounce. Uh, so I'll use a club that has a lob wedge, less bounce, more loft, and I can open the face of that. And then I just really slam down close to the golf ball. So again, that steep crash landing. And I find that can work because even though the opening of the face might increase the bounce, the fact you're going so steeply into it, it tends to cut through the, the mud a little better. So it's an advanced way of doing it. You know, the tight lie, open face, slam down steeply close to the golf ball but it can get those high shots from the tight lies if you need it you just have to go off and practice it a ton before you put it into into play yeah i would say maybe not tight lie, just fairways in general like if you're on the fringe or fairways like i think that's where you maybe have a lot of options more options than the rough let's say because you could if you have like a ton of green between you and the ball. You can hit a seven iron, like a putting stroke. You can even hit a hybrid. You could hit like an intermediate type shot with like a gap wedge or sand wedge. You can open the face with a lob wedge and hit a flop. Like you have so many options, but with that comes more opportunities to screw up. So my rallying call with wedge play for most players is start simple, 
start reliable, whatever gets the ball on the putting surface. And if you can prove to yourself that you have that shot, then you can entertain like adjusting clubs and opening the face and ball position and stuff like that. You know, you can get very creative with wedge play, but with that comes, I think, a more wider range of outcomes. So we're looking for that 10 to 20 foot putt at worst, but then you might get some skulls and chunks where you don't get that situation. So it's always this tug of war between how cute do you want to get with it and how advanced. And I always think back to like simplicity on these shots. So if for you, you're on the fairway, there's a decent amount of room between you and the ball and you just like hitting a pitching wedge off the back of your foot and running it, go for it. You like hitting a, a, a sand wedge or a lob wedge with more of like that neutral release and more loft, go for it if that's easier for you. That's how I like to think about these shots. You do have a lot of options. Yeah, it can become difficult for players because obviously they they see each shot as its own set of commands. And I know that's kind of how we talked about in this podcast, you know, oh, you need a steeper attack, you do this, this, and this. I like to think more in terms of concepts and the concepts are how can I make the angle of attack steeper or shallower? How can I increase or reduce bounce? And how can I increase or reduce loft? I think if you understand those things, you can start to problem solve for each scenario because there are scenarios that we haven't talked about. Like what if the ball is above your feet and on an uphill slope, and in the rough, <laughs> and you need an yeah. ISO, and it's on a... You know, there's so many different combinations episodes. of these that you can't really... I mean, we've tried in this episode, but you can't really go through every single lie, but you can go through certain concepts. And it's like, the first thing I always do is look at what is the lie? What Because that limits you to what you can do. If you're on a tight lie, you've got to do certain things. If you're in deep rough, you've got to do certain things. So the lie is going to limit you. Then once you you said, right, here's the lie, here's the angle of attack and bounce that I need, then you can start to go into, right, what can I get the ball to do from that angle of attack? If you've got a very steep angle of attack, it's harder to hit the higher shot. It's possible, but it's harder. And then you can start to go into, right, well, what can I do with the loft here? Can I change the club somehow to get the ball flight that I want? Can I open the face to get the ball flight that I want? If I open the face, what's going to happen to the bounce here? What bounce do I need? So you're constantly going back and forth between those, at least on short game shot, the three main variables of angle of attack, loft and bounce. But you can achieve all of that with a like similar technique. Like yeah. it doesn't feel like you're doing, I think, yeah, that that's the point we want to make is that I don't feel like I have seven different wedge swings around the green. I mostly am trying to do the same thing. It's just this, like, as Adam's saying, it's like kind of like a slight manipulation of what the lie is giving you. And again, that's earned through practice and the variability of lies you, you give yourself. And you're just trying to find the answer for yourself like, oh, what's this little adjustment I can make in this buried rough lie where I can get the ball popping out a little bit better? Or if I have a tight lie around the green, you know, maybe I, I just move the ball back in my stance. That helps me out. Or you keep it in the middle of your stance. Like you, you, you choose the options that give you the best like average results. I'm not looking, again, not spectacular, but the less chunks and skulls and the more, okay, on the green, not so bad, like 10 footer, 15 footer, great. Some three-footers in there, awesome too, obviously. When teaching people, I'm kind of just layering on knowledge. You know, we start with a stock shot and then we might go into, okay, well, this is how you can make the angle of attack steeper or shallower. 
and I might give them one variable, just placing the ball in a different part of the stance, for example. More forwards will make it shallower, more back will make it a little steeper. Then we might add on, you could also change your weight location. More on the left side will make it steeper, more neutral, or I don't like to go on the back foot, but more neutral will make it shallower. And so then we talk about, well, here's when you would need a steeper angle attack, here's when you need a shallower. Once we've done angle attack variables, we might move on to loft variables. And then once they, they're comfortable with those, we might go on to bounce variables. And then we start to look at combinations of these. So we just, yeah, start out with what's simple to you and then layer on knowledge as you, as you get better. And you can layer on more different types of shots. Yes, yeah, set up. I mean, you can go back to our driver episode. So many things get taken care of with, T height and ball position and some other stuff with your driver to accommodate the shot you're trying to hit. So it's not like you're not doing this entirely different swing. You're just making a different setup to accommodate the needs of the shot. I guess the thing I always don't want people to have is this scenario like, oh, I got to do seven different things technically different now. That's where I think people get into trouble. So hopefully that clears it up a little bit. I guess, is this a, is this a two-parter now? Yep, it is. Is that, yep. is that what's happened here? We've done a two-parter? the decision just got made folks you're in part two but you already knew that by now if you made it this far (laughs) yeah i think we covered a lot so if you made it this far i think we gave you some i guess our goal was to give you some baseline information and also some strategic information and then you kind of have to do a little bit extra homework on your own to see your tendencies and what gets you the best results but You know, just my overarching thoughts on both episodes, you take what the course is giving you with these different lies, if necessary, like fairway bunkers or bad lies in the rough or a side hill lie that makes you uncomfortable, then strategically and club selection wise, you you do get more conservative and you don't bite off more than you can chew. Because again, we're trying to, a lot of golf is just reducing big mistakes. That is, it's not the birdies we make, it's the less bogeys, doubles and triples we make that that get our scores lower. And a lot of this happens in these lies. Like I think these are really important episodes for everyone because these are ways you can, if you are in a situation that's less than optimal and you don't have that nice flat lie on the fairway with whatever club you're hitting, you need to accommodate what's going on in those shots and make better decisions. So hopefully we gave you some ideas on how to do that. Yeah. So just the main main points for me i suppose the overarching goals again when you're on these different lies ball above your feet ball below your feet try and visualize how the ball would roll along the ground that's going to change that's going to show you the ball flight or imagine tipping water on the ground which way is the water going to drain off that's the way the ball would tend to go make i think the the biggest thing here is ground contact you know if you can strike that ball first most of the issues go away. You just have to have to have the ability to adjust that ground contact based on what the lie is giving you. If, if the ball is on a downhill slope, you're more likely to bottom out early. And so having the ability to move that low point of your swing farther forwards is going to be key. And go off and practice these things. You know, as I said, there's some overarching rules here that can help you determine without experience what's going to happen but you have to go off and actually put yourself in these positions and practice them you've seen the those wedge mats right they're like a 
little wedge that you can turn and you can give yourself different lies. I mean, that would be the ideal situation to have one of those at your golf club. So if you if you can get your golf club to purchase one of those that you can go off and practice on it, that would be ideal. But yeah, making sure making sure you get some experience yourself on these things. There's no uh, there's no substitute for that really. All right, that wraps it up. Adam, where can everyone find you for further resources? AdamYoungGolf.com. The Strike Plan is a great resource for stuff that uh, deals with this. As I, as I said, the ground contact is such an important piece to the puzzle here that if you can get that good, then you're, you're 90% of the way there. So yeah, check out The Strike Plan at AdamYoungGolf.com. And John, where can people find you? I guess I'm sending people to fourfoundationsofgolf.com now. You get my book, get my video course. That's it. Thanks again, everyone who listens to the show, sends us your questions, your feedback. We appreciate it. And we will see you next time with a new episode.